Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and Mayu. What's going on, everybody? Myself and Austin have both partially lost our voices or our voices are cracking because we were at the Rise Real Estate Networking event yesterday. Um, How'd you find it, Austin? It was great, man. We had about 150 people show up and people from all kinds of different journeys of real estate. So we had a little activity where we just said, Raise your hand if you're a private lender, if you're a wholesaler, multifamily investor going into yeah. your first couple of properties. And there was a huge, diverse amount of crowds. There are people who are doing 30 units and above on projects and people getting into their first project and lenders there. It's like the perfect circle that you need when you need to get yeah. into investing. So I had a fantastic time. It's always great to connect with our audience and like-minded investors. How did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was the exact same thing, right? So I think, uh, I don't know if, if if anyone had any any suggestions on how we could improve next time, like let us know because we do plan to do a networking event every couple months or so, like hopefully every two months. Um, and we're planning to do some other like bigger things for Rise. So we're actually going to have a story kind of question on Instagram, kind of asking you guys what you want to see from the Rise group. So make sure you guys drop any kind of feedback that you have in there. But overall, like from a networking perspective, it was great. Had really good conversations with a lot of people, right? And like you said, man, it's like James was there. You're talking to like investors that are like 30 plus units. And then you're talking to like people that are looking to just get started in real estate investing, right? And I like both sides of it, right? Like a lot of people just want to network with people that are purely doing bigger and better things than them. But I think there's always a good element that you learn just by kind of giving back to people um, that are a little bit more junior in their journey, right? So I thought it was great. Hopefully you can do more of these. Um, but yeah, what's going on with you, Austin? How's, uh, how's the business? Yeah. Before I get into the business, there's a book called ego is the enemy. Um, forgot who the author, Ryan holiday. Um, and one of the things he mentioned in that book is, is that for people to keep their ego in check, which is important because people let that get the better of them. A lot of the time, you always want to have people in your circle such that couple of people are ahead of you in your journey. A couple of people are on the same level as you and you are coaching or mentoring a couple of people who have just began or are kind of further behind on you in your current state of your journey. So you want to surround yourself with all circles. It keeps you more level headed because if you're always just surrounding yourself with people doing bigger and better things, there is a sense of FOMO that always happens, right? So you want to keep yourself grounded. But anyways, uh, in regards to the business, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In regards to the wholesaling business, um, I guess we'll make the announcement now. We're looking to hire dispositions managers. The job posting hasn't come out yet, but it's going to be base plus commission. Um, it's about time I kind of step back from that role because I'm spending way too many hours on this. Like I'm still like as we're doing this preamble, I'm doing disposition stuff on my other monitor and screen. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to the new year. I guess we'll talk about that next episode, but looking to systemize a lot more. There are definitely things that we can still take off of our plate, but for those who are looking to get into wholesaling or real estate and you have a sales or marketing background, hit me up. (laughs) (laughs) Is that That didn't really really answer your question though. Is is that the skill set that you need for Dispo though? Marketing? Is it really marketing more than anything? Maybe. I don't know. So dispositions is basically a marketing 
end sales role, you market the deal and you're selling the deal, right? Um, wholesaling is really just defined as marketing and sales. Even on the acquisition side, it's marketing and sales, but yeah. your sale is to someone else and your marketing target audience is to someone else, yeah. right? So it's just how you market the flyers or whatever you're digitally advertising, how you're putting out the message there to get leads and then speaking to the leads and converting them. Dispo is no different. It's just on the investor side of things, right? And I find that really in in wholesaling or real estate, the sales is much more toned down because a lot of these people are sophisticated in nature already. So you're not really selling on emotions. Like it's on logic. People understand the logic of it. Right. Um, so it's just giving when you're selling something, it's maybe more so like the attractive elements of the property that's going to keep down CapEx in the future, potential for turning around units, so on and so forth. But it's things that buyers kind of already go in with their own assumptions with. So it's not as it's not as heavy, if you know what I mean. Like you can't force someone to buy something in the dispo side. Uh, yeah. But it is a different element of sales. Cool, man. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I know the interview and hiring process is slow as shit. Like I am literally taking a month to hire one person. So I'm a little bit more paranoid, but I'm also looking to hire a VA at the same time. So trying to, yep. trying to essentially do both of those. But yeah, it's a slow it's, process. It's not a fun, it's not a fun process at all. Yeah, I know. So, I agree. I agree. But it's um, necessary. And yeah. Exactly. Uh, it helps us continue to grow our business. And I guess we can just jump into today's episode. I'm really happy to make this introduction here. Um, we have John Pye who will be joining us in today's episode. John is a young real estate investor, only 23 years old, straight from high school, jumped into being a realtor, uh, made six figures that way as an 18-year-old realtor, which is ultra impressive, and then ended up buying his first investment property. And now is a member of our wholesaling team in Fast Ontario Home Buyer. And he's made about $250,000 in assignment fees within his first three months of wholesaling. So this is an episode you don't want to miss out on. We go into a lot about mindset. We go a lot into motivation, um, sales, negotiation, and a bunch of other interesting topics. So make sure to tune in, guys. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, John. John, how's it going, man? Good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you for jumping on. No problem. No problem. So John, like I think myself and Austin, I mean, Austin for sure knows you pretty well, but uh, why don't you give our audience a quick kind of background on yourself, your journey uh, and kind of what you're up to these days? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was a real estate agent from 2018 till this year, up until um, around June, July, when I met Austin and Waylon. I uh, met with them in Toronto and then we decided to start working together as the beginning of September, I started wholesaling with them. Um, so yeah, ever since then, just been been killing it wholesaling with them. Yeah. How old are you? You're pretty young as well, right? Twenty three. Yeah, twenty three. Twenty three. Okay. And you had a, a couple of successful years in the realtor business, I think, right? Um. So like, when did you start being a realtor? So it was uh, 2018 is when I started. Okay. Um, I actually signed up to get my license 2016. Loped it for a little bit. Got it in 2018. 2018, you would have been like 18 years old. No. Uh, yeah. Well, I was. Yeah, I was 19 when I actually got it. So. I graduated high school, um, fast track. I was actually behind. And then they said, Hey, if you could, if you want, you can do, you know, these credits to, to graduate on time. So I did 10 credits in one semester, graduated six months early. My birthday was in February. 
so I got my license, uh, signed up in February. And then, yeah, when I first started, everyone and their mom told me, don't do it. Everyone told me, don't do it. Cause I was too young. Nobody would take me seriously, but I did it. I hired a coach, um, learned scripting and the systems eventually kept at it until finally cracked the code. <laughs> so a lot of your initial network or the, the people that you did transactions with, I'm assuming they weren't your buddies at like 18 years old. Right. So it's like, a lot of it was from cold calls and, and going about the scripted route and door knocking, I'm assuming, or some variation of that, right? Yeah, yeah. So when, when I first started, I didn't really know how to go about it. And then, like I said, when I got the coach, I learned about SEO, like Google SEO and ads online and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I eventually got a CRM and then I systemized everything. So my first six months, I was by myself. And then I realized I had to get a coach, obviously, to, to actually make an impact in the industry, especially with how many agents there are. So I got a coach. He taught me a lot of, of uh, what I ended up doing and yeah, man, eventually, eventually just getting into SEO, different pillars. I realized you have to have different pillars because I just focused on SEO and then I realized only buyers moved around a little bit, um, which is different with wholesaling. Wholesaling, it's really just the direct flyers are the best route. I've tried a couple different things. Facebook's not greatest, but... <laughs> Yeah, to dive down into the realtor business, your first year, 18 years old, getting into the business, why don't you walk us through how that was like and what even got you to get started as a realtor? Did you have any knowledge in real estate or just jumped into it? Uh, no, I didn't. I So it, it's funny. This is probably a typical thing that most people hear. When I was probably 15 or 16, I wanted to make money and I had no idea how to do it. So I started Googling best ways to make money. <laughs> and then what came up was stocks and real estate. So I started trading, which I still do to this day. And then I got into real estate. And honestly, I threw a bunch of stuff at a wall to see what stuck. I also went for my insurance license, um, which not a lot of people know about. I also, I had a sales job for a renovation company for a while. I did a lot. I opened a flea market booth, which that failed miserably wow. on that. Oh like, man, I, you did everything. That's pretty yeah, cool. <laughs> That was the thing. Whatever I saw, I just did it. And Google will tell you a lot of things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. What does the first year as a realtor look like? And then, because ultimately what I'm really curious about here is, is what got you to transition from being a realtor to a wholesaler, right? So um, let's break down that first year. Like the first six months uh, before you had a coach, were you doing much transactions? Were you doing much business or was it kind of like you were just lost? Yeah. For my first six months, I was pretty lost, honestly. I, uh, like I was doing before with trying different things and, and different uh, businesses, I was trying different ways to, to find leads. Mm. Like I was posting on Facebook, just doing different random stuff. And then I realized, yeah, the best way would be to, to get a coach. So I got my license in September of 2017 to kind of put timelines attached to it. 2017 in September, up until January, I didn't do really any business. January 2018 is when I got my coach. And then from January 2018 to January 2019, I did uh, 3.3 million in sales. Um, so my first real year with the coach, um, which isn't too crazy now with the market. I mean, you sell one house a million dollars, but back then it wasn't too bad. That works out to like a conversion of like what, like 70 to 80,000 commission, something like that ballpark or 60 to 70? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, I think it was like 88K, but I paid the coach. 55 or 60 K that first year, but I knew it'd be Holy shit. Cool. So you, but, but, oh, here, you, you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. signed, I remember this. I remember this. I think you and I talked about this before, right? Yeah, John? Did, you were yeah, paying yeah, like 4k a month or something like that. Um, but you were, you, you signed up to pay someone 4k a month with $0 in revenue coming in. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Longer. Because honestly, man, like even with wholesaling now, um, even me and you, Austin, we don't really talk too much about it, but a lot of what I learned with that coach, I implement now in wholesaling. And I attribute a lot of my success in wholesaling to that, having that coach. Like I still have all the same scripts, all the same systems. Um, yeah. Like the whole nine yards. Yeah. If you don't mind, do you want to kind of get into that a bit more? Like when you hired the coach, what really changed? So one thing is, is that you started implementing search engine optimization to, I assume, get more leads, which is obviously costing you more money that the coach isn't paying for. So you're probably yeah. out a lot during that year. Um, but what else changed outside of just advertising? It was a lot of mindset. So we would do, we had, um, this is a long time ago. So we had a meeting every Tuesday at 930 we had um, coffee Wednesday at noon and then trainings every Thursday. So it was a lot of um, stuff that I would use to be practical in the field, but it was also a lot of mindset. Cause I mean, I was young, like I was still going out, I was still messing around and stuff. So it was, it was uh, a learning curve getting just more mature as well. Um, which above all, I think, I think that was the reason why I did well for the year of 2018. But so to answer your question, what changed? Um, yeah, definitely mindset, learning more about scripting, learning more about the industry in general. Like I didn't even know really what, even though I got my license, that's the thing about getting your license now. Barely knew what an amendment was, what a waiver, APS, any, any of that. So I had to learn all that stuff as well. Um, it was a lot, man, honestly. Do you want to dive down into scripting a bit more? What exactly is that? Yeah, so... Um, when working with clients, it's not like the client's interviewing you, you're interviewing the client. It's kind of how I treat sellers with wholesaling as well. So when you're doing info collection and you're screening to see if they're ready now or if they're ready later, because the the whole point is, is with, with your funnel, you don't want to be working with people that are going to be ready in the next year or two when you could be using that time to work with people that are ready within the next three to five months, which that was a huge thing that he really emphasized. So even now with wholesaling, you don't want to waste your time or their time. If they're not going to be ready for another two years, you might as well set a follow-up if it's outside of five months and um, just come back to them. So with scripting, it was definitely with timing, uh, info collection, asking the same thing a few times to find real motivation. So even with wholesaling now, um, for example, if you're asking the condition of the property, you could say like, so what's the current condition of the property? And then you could wait for them to answer. Say, okay, so what other renovations or repairs are needed? Wait for answer and say, okay, um, what are the most recent upgrades that you've done? So that kind of times three in, in all areas, even when looking for price as well. Another thing I forgot, uh, value proposition first. Before asking for something from them, give them value. So they'll give you real motivation or real price or whatever you're looking for. Um, yeah, so giving them that value proposition, asking um, if they don't give you a price, asking kind of what places they're selling for in the area and then see if they have an idea. And then also just letting them know, like it's not it's not a real number you have to come up with, just the ballpark range to see if it makes sense for us and for you. So really just going into things times three. With scripting, you don't have to do it all by the books to sound robotic. You can just have a, an idea of what you're trying to say and just stick to that and do it times three to get real motivation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you start doing it again and again, it becomes second nature. You already know what questions to ask, right? So it's about how you phrase the questions, things you say to get to that question. So it becomes more natural. It's not, again, as you were saying, one question after the other, after the other, which is what a lot of people fall into when they begin sales, right? Because you're so focused on 
I don't want to miss a single detail because I'll have to call them back and get that information later. So you get too stuck in your head. But um, no, that, that's a great tip there that you have, right? Um, if you kind of have an idea of what you want to accomplish, figure out different ways to ask the same question because some people might not be receptive to one way, but they might answer it when you ask it in another way. So like that renovations, that's perfect. That's what we do with pretty much all of our phone calls, actually. Yeah, I feel like the sales process is so engraved in you now because you've been doing it for so long, right? Like the amount of times that you just said, like asking questions three times to get to the true kind of like motivation, like negotiation, whatever. Um, it just like seems so natural for you. So that's awesome. And I think I can see like how like starting at such a young age has essentially helped you be successful today. I'm curious that first year of real estate, because you're doing a lot of SEO, you're dealing with a lot of people that you don't know. Um, what kind of like clients were you getting? Was it investors? Was it first time home buyers? Like what was your clientele really there? Um, it was a lot of first time home buyers. I had investors as well, but I didn't know left and right when working with them. So I feel like I couldn't provide enough value at that time. And at the end of the day, I wanted to work with who I related with being being mm. so young. So it was a lot of first time home buyers. And even at that, I was still pretty intimidated at first. But eventually you get you get into a certain flow. And I'm sure you guys could probably attest to this with with um what you guys are doing. You get into a certain flow to where the intimidation or any emotions go away and you realize that you're really providing value. So there's no point of kind of being nervous or kind of beating around the bush. Um, yeah, to answer your question, definitely first time home buyers when I first started. Yeah, that's awesome. So then you, cause you, cause you went into, when we first talked, I remember this now it's coming back to me. I think you said you had done like 150 to 200 years, something like that in revenue, if I'm not mistaken, in the last year. So that would probably have been 2020. Um, you told me about this entire coaching program and I was like, shit, like that's actually like really impressive. Like for your age, if I was earning like, even if you're netting like 90 grand or something like that, which like, I don't know what you're actually netting, but let's just say that it's still really impressive for your age. Right. And given that you're very early on in your trajectory. So arguably the realtor business, had you kept at it, would have essentially just continued to exponential growth referrals. You're really at like the, like the beginning stages of the people that are in your existing network, starting to buy houses, right? 23. And then as they hit 26, 27, somewhere in that not, not most people, but a lot of well, people. Maybe, maybe not anymore. Okay. Maybe not like everyone, but like a lot of people will want to be buying real estate in that age group. Right. So I'm curious then like what led you into kind of pivoting into the wholesaling side? Um, and actually another question to that, were you also kind of investing during this timeline as well? Or what did that look like? Um, no, I wasn't, I wasn't really investing. I wanted to get into investing, but I think I, that was my mistake. I focused too much on active income. And I didn't focus much on building something out of that active income. So, I mean, I was, I was investing in like stocks and stuff and ETFs and that, but with real estate, I wasn't, which that's one of my biggest regrets, especially being, so I worked in in the Durham market. So I probably would have realistically invested in Oshawa being the lowest price range, one of the lowest price ranges in in Durham. And I mean, that's exploded from even 2018 to now. So when I started to now, um, so I definitely regret that. But no, I, I wasn't um, I wasn't investing as much. And the reason why I wanted to switch from being an agent into a wholesaler is because I started to realize as an agent, I was being paid a percentage of a purchase price that I can negotiate for my clients, as opposed to as a wholesaler, I could use those same skills and I could be paid the exact amount of what I could negotiate based on the skills that I could use, you know? So it's really more for myself as opposed to, and I, I don't know if that sounds all No, that actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. That makes perfect sense, right? Because yeah, you're right. Like you get your your client a, a dope deal, right? But ultimately you're still getting the 2% versus wholesaling. If you get a dope deal, you can kind of share that spread with the client, right? Um, so that's 
That's pretty dope. And I guess like from the wholesaling side, you've been doing it now for, like you said, three months, right? So I guess, is it a little bit early to see, to say whether or not you're happy with it? Do you regret it? Like, how is that? How's that been? I should, I should, Austin has just exited the chat. <laughs> yeah. So, so John, for, for our listeners that I guess, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but you, you obviously work with Austin, right? And I've, I told Austin, I'm going to be asking some questions about this entire Ontario property deals company that he's built up. So <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, no, so far I, I hate it, and I'm probably gonna quit. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I, I, I like here. it a lot. <laughs> no, man. I like it a lot. Like I said, like it was a weird transition, and especially when first starting out, uh, the first thing you realize is how expensive it is for marketing. But it definitely pays off because, like I said, like you're paid based on your skill set and what you can, what you can negotiate and what problems you can solve. It's not a percentage, it's the direct dollar amount. So like that's more worth it than than anything, I think. So how much of this is negotiation versus being at the right place in the right time? Right. Meaning like if you're constantly marketing and flyering and like even like SEO, stuff like that, is more so being in the right place at the right time, right? You're trying to get there when the individual is motivated and so on. And then how much of it is once you get that phone call, now it's a negotiation piece, right? Which is kind of the sales side. Um, how much do you attribute to each one? Like consistently just flyering versus like sales and market or negotiation quite a few of the deals that i've done have been problem solving that's something that i realized it's a lot of problem solving so for an example there was uh there was a deal it was an older gentleman and he wanted to sell and then he didn't then he didn't he didn't so i knew that he did but there was a reason why he was holding back Mm. so to find that reason i sat with him for probably awesome you could probably remember this it was an older guy 85 years old I, i sat with him for probably two hours just talking to him and um come to find out he won he, he didn't really know where he was going to go next so we moved the closing date accordingly and two so simple he was nervous about the tree in his front yard falling down that's why he wanted to sell that's why he didn't want to sell he he was he was so nervous that if we uh, if we put it on our contract and we had a closing in march so he'd be able to find somewhere to live the tree would fall down by the time march comes around so all I did is I put in the offer that I would cut down the tree within the next week, which I did. I ordered someone to go cut it down and we got it. We got it under contract and that was uh 75 K fee or 80 K fee. Damn, for cutting yeah, a tree. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a huge fee. It's such a simple problem, but it was like, it almost didn't come through. Mind you, I'm, I'm talking like this was five minutes. No, man, this was like a month of back and forth and then two hours in person as well. So it's a lot of problem solving. A lot of my deals have been like that even though you're in the right place at the right time, you still have to solve the problem that the seller has. That's the value that you provide, I think, in the business, yeah. Yeah, man, so, so how has the first three months, because if you're talking about like a 75K wholesale fee on that one deal, I'm just curious now, like how have the last three months been for you? Total, like, what are we looking at? What is a, as someone that's new to wholesaling, but obviously comes with extensive like sales background, right? Like what's the potential here? Uh, about a quarter million, two, 260. Yeah, about 260. In terms of marketing spend, it's about 40,000. Um, no, we're talking about for three months? No, right? We're talking about like for a, a yearly, like 260. No, for three no, months. That's three months. Wow, yeah. That's pretty good. That's really good, man. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a couple of deals, John, where I know that it was, it was definitely in a competitive situation. And exactly what John said, it came down to the problem solving aspect. And that's one thing that we preach on our team in general, right? Like, as you're mentioning, sometimes people kind of overlook the problem and just try to get the deal under contract. And when people are nervous, you don't want to make that push for them to get it under contract. You want to figure out, it's like, oh, okay, like, 
what is it exactly that you're nervous about? They're like, oh, um, I don't know. Like, I'm still trying to find another house. Like, I don't want to sell this before moving on to the other one. And then, like, for example, um, you can just say something like, look, I mean, to buy another house, generally, you need your first house sold. But we understand the concern that you have. So how about we do a long closing with flexibility to increase closing by 60 days or decrease closing by 60 days, right? So it gives them a period of like a little over two months, have a closing date, but a two month, maybe even three month range on any time between then they can force a closing, right? Um, so that kind of is there to solve a problem as well. John, I, I wanted to know what was the biggest transition mm. in terms of being an agent and wholesaling? Uh, what was the biggest difference for you? And if there were any learning curves, would you be able to dive into that and how you overcame them? Uh, the biggest learning curve, I would say... Uh, MLS rules and TREB rules and guidelines. Even sometimes with you now, Austin, I'll, I'll like shit. I'm used to being an agent because I'll I'll do so. Like for instance, with the deposits, like I'm used to massive deposits, or I'm used to lawyers doing everything <laughs> as an agent. Yeah, just MLS rules, guidelines, and different ways to structure an APS and amendments as an agent. When you're structuring an APS, like there's a lot of emphasis on chattels and fixtures or on like certain uh, certain conditions in the offer. Whereas being a wholesaler, it's not as much emphasis on the contracts. It's more just, like I said, problem solving with the seller and working directly with the seller. And I guess your model has now grown beyond, like before you, got, you were kind of centric towards the Durham region, like you said, right? And now you're kind of servicing all of Ontario, right? Um, are there hurdles on that? I'm imagining you know, even just getting out and kind of talking to these clients or these uh, sellers would be a little bit more of a hurdle now, right? I, I did that for a while too. I just call them clients. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are your clients, I guess. That's, that's the thing with wholesaling, right? You've got your buyer clients and you've got your seller clients, right? So kind of both sides of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. And let me ask you this, right? Like Austin, just be quiet about this one. So um, what, like, could you have done this on your own? And what's the value of joining a company like Austin's company, Ontario Property Deals? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think I could have because I wouldn't know. I would be doing a lot of the things that I did as an Asian. I think it would have failed. I would have focused a lot on SEO, honestly, which even now I still do a little bit of SEO with marketing as a wholesaler, but no, I don't want to say no seller is serious through SEO, but they're definitely not as serious because the call to action with SEO is if you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you just happen to see it, whereas call to action, if you get something in your mail and it's urgent, you really need to call at that certain time. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's different. I couldn't really tell you why, but it, it definitely is different with the motivation of the sellers. So I would have been, yeah, I would have been focusing a lot more on how I did it as an agent. And I don't know that I would have had the same success. That's fair. I guess there's, there's significant value in buyers list as well, right? Like ultimately the bigger the buyers list, the, the more the fees and the revenue and stuff like that, that you can generate as well. Right. For sure. uh, no, I forgot that. You know, that's huge. Like I think yeah. right there, if you can lock up a deal, but if you can't move it, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine like this allows you, cause I, I talk about it from an investing perspective all the time, right? It's like you can focus on the buy, right? And then you can just give someone else a renovate, though you can give someone else a refinance and all that kind of stuff. Um, this essentially you're you're constantly focusing on the relationship and the problem solving part. And then you kind of just, I'm assuming this is how it works. You get it under contract and you just pass it on to Austin or whoever else within the company and say handle the display side, right? Is that how on things work? On to the next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It keeps you focused, hyper focused on one thing, which is the most significant revenue generating item. So I remember there was a there was a deal that John was looking at. It was uh, on a huge lot, and it was a hunk of shit, like the prop condition wise, probably yeah, yeah. right. 
I was talking talking about it and we were talking about max allowable offer ARV. We're like, no one's going to fucking buy this because it's like a it's it's a huge fucking project and it's just like a huge land and it's rural. Right. So we're just like, okay. I mean, let's try to get a 15, 20 K fee. And that ended up being a six figure fee for the deal. (laughs) Like even I was shocked, but there's always an investor for something. And I think that's one learning lesson that we had, like with John and I and the other wholesalers is that, you know what, like it might not necessarily be a deal that we do, but also we're also not the most sophisticated investors. We don't know. We don't do builds or anything like that. There are investors out there who do that, who value things differently. Right. And apparently that deal was a hot deal. I remember when you're speaking to John, I was like, man, I'm getting phone call after phone call after phone call. And it was mainly developers or fix and flippers who do like 20 or 30 flips a year. Right. So they see things and potential from a different lens. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I would just put that out there. Like, I find it interesting that there's, you know, even when we calculate our numbers, sometimes it's it's off. Right. Like there's another one in Guelph where I mispriced it and it was like 80 phone calls. But um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. My, you were going to ask something else. Is that right? Uh, no, I guess my next question is really like from the realtor side. And when you were building out the active income, your active income's obviously gone up, right? It seems like at least, um, have you, have you done anything on the investing side? Is that really a focus area or is blowing up the wholesaling side really kind of your focus area for the next little bit? Um, I think, yeah, I think definitely getting the active income up and getting the skill set where it needs to be with wholesaling after doing that. Definitely the investing side is what I would want to get into. Um, yeah, I, I do have one triplex right now and I do have coach Corey McKinnon as well. So that's definitely something that I would want to, I want to scale in, in uh, 2022. But yeah. For Where's some, your triplex? Let's talk about that one a little bit. I'm curious. You get that like off market from like your, the flyers or did you buy it on market? Like how'd that one work? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's in Sudbury and uh, it was my lawyer's friend, my lawyer that I worked with as an agent. Okay. I wasn't even in the market. I was just so tunnel vision on being an agent. This was uh, January of this year, actually. And he said, oh, um, you know, I have, a, I have a buddy that's looking to, to sell his triplex. And so I was like, okay, send me the numbers. Like, send me the numbers. It was a, it was a 10 cap. So I just jumped on. Yeah, and, triplex out of 10 cap. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it wasn't bad. It was, uh, <laughs> there wasn't much room. I, I would have, I don't know if I would have bought it today, though, because there's not much room depreciation to pull money out so i, I got money. 10 cap how's that not under market value it must have been under market value at a 10 cap a rough area yeah yeah okay. <laughs> all right fair but hey it'll, i'm sure that cash flow helps right like that's the other yeah. thing too yeah <laughs> yeah i mean strong cash flow isn't a bad thing right it's a great thing especially when you're a wholesaler one thing that i think wholesalers need to start doing a lot of them spend their time on just offloading deals which is great but you also need to grow your portfolio as well. Because I mean, John, how many deals did you wholesale where you're seeing the investor make a ton of fucking money on the buy, right? And if you did have the capability, ability to close that, um, you would make that money as well, right? And having strong cash flow is a fantastic thing because how I think about it is, is you make money from your business, you reinvest it into assets, your assets generate cash flow. So that it pays for your real estate marketing to make more money. Then you buy more assets, more cash flow. That pays for even more marketing. So then it becomes a kind of a funnel, right? Like you make money from wholesaling, you buy assets that generates a ton of cash flow, and you don't have to use money out of your pocket once you go to a specific scale and have enough cash flow from these investment properties. 
I know, man. Yeah, like even even the most recent one that we we firmed up on the margins. I mean, a lot of them that that we did the margins on it is just like seeing it is like, oh my god. <laughs> but it's also it's also um, I think about it as well. I think wholesaling is a really good strategy because flipping you're going to be in that deal for how long? Wholesaling how how long you're going to be in the deal? Flipping you're going to be in for three to six, maybe even nine months. Wholesaling you're in the deal for what is it? Two weeks to a month. Yeah, you can do a lot more volume in the wholesaling side for sure, right? Um, and, and I think ultimately, I think what everyone here is really saying is that you win the most when you own the asset for the long run, right? Like you hold you hold an asset for like five, 10 years and like the perfect ones are the ones that you just forget you even own it, right? Like I mean, also I'm sure we have a bunch of like single families and shit where it's like, I haven't even thought about it in like a year, right? And th- that's dope. Um, and that's really where you start to win. So, so John, I'm curious, like from the last three months of wholesaling, What's the biggest fee? What's the biggest kind of story that you've got in the wholesaling world? Like experience-wise, fee-wise, whatever you kind of want to talk about there. For sure, yeah. So touching on what Austin had said earlier with that six-figure six figure fee, it was a massive lot. Uh, with that deal, there was actually another offer that was 20K higher than my offer. Okay. But touching on what I said earlier with problem solving. Um, so I went in and I basically just let her know, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that will say that they have the funds for a certain property, but they won't actually have the funds. They've never, you know, they don't, they're not as experienced in the field. So I would just ask them certain questions just to screen them and make sure that they're serious. And just doing that right there, I was able to get it under contract for 20 K less. So in some situations, it may not be directly with the seller, but with, if you're in competition with, with another offer, because that's actually happened more than once especially with now how competitive wholesaling is, or even just the market in general, where there will be another offer higher than mine, but just really letting them know that you can provide a solution to the problem that's more, whether it's bulletproof or more desirable to the seller than somebody else can, then you can sometimes lock up that deal for the same fee, if not a lesser price than what the other wholesaler or buyer would be trying to lock it up for. And it doesn't hurt that um, you spend two hours with them too. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing that happens on the market as well, right? Like I, I've taken offers numerous times where it's like clean offer, like an extra like 20 grand, 15 grand even, right? It's just like, if, if it's a clean offer, I'm willing to take it. If it's a faster close, I'm willing to take it. Price really isn't everything, right? I think that's what you're talking about as well. When you come from like a, a relationship point of view as well, right? Because a lot of these sellers, they're motivated for a reason and they kind of want that peace of mind that, this is actually going to close on time. This guy is going to actually like get it assigned or sell it or buy it or whatever. Right. They just want to know that the transaction is going to go through and the money is going to show up in their account on the day they said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're trading terms for, for price essentially. Yep. And so, so what was the, like, what was the background of the guy that bought that one? Cause I'm curious now. Cause that, that you said it was like 10 acres of land and, um, no, no, it was 90, 90 high nineties acres, but right. not 10 acres. Holy shit. 90 yeah. acres of land. How much you guys also that? Like, what did that sell for? What did it sell for? Six, six forty, six thirty, six around the mid six hundreds around there. But it's actually not bad. It's Port Colburn. No, it's not. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's not Port. It's Colburn, not Port Colburn. Oh, okay, so okay. I would even say Colburn is better than Port Colburn, right? Because Colburn is on the Durham side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even though the property was run down and it was what was it, thirty three hundred square feet house. Holy shit, this is really Yeah, good it's a mansion. It's a mansion. <laughs> right? So like even though we're just like, oh my god, this house is in such bad condition, blah 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 blah. 
first of all, 3,000, like in retrospect, when you think about it, 3,300 square feet on almost 100 acres of land in Durham region. Yeah, right? it's a land so, value. It's really, it's basically yeah. between Prince Edward County and Coburg. For anyone that doesn't know where, like that's the right area, right? I'm looking at the right thing. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's Northumberland, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool, man. So, so what's his plan for it? Like, do you guys ever talk to your, your buyers about that? Like, I'm just curious what someone that's buying 90 acres is planning to do. Yeah, so this buyer is just planning to do a fix and flip. They're a contractor, so they can do a lot of the work themselves. And they're also a flipper as well, as, as well as a bunch of other businesses in real estate. So they're a very experienced investor. I don't think they're planning to develop or anything like that, or at least in the near term, probably not. Um, they've even considered just going in, doing the major, like just the major repair cosmetic. You can leave it as is because it's, it's not nice, but they're just going to relist it on the market after. Right. There's a bunch of different plays because it is significantly undervalued and it is in Durham, which is tough to get those type of properties out there. Yeah, because it'd be dope to essentially just fix up the house, sever the lot, keep a parcel of land for yourself and just sell everything off. Even if you break even, you get some free acres of land. Like that's pretty it's a really good deal. That's awesome. What, what was the story between behind like how you got that deal? Like, was it like from a flyer campaign, SEO, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So it was from a flyer, uh, went out, the house was in really, really bad shape. The lady said she didn't really want to work with an agent because she didn't want people coming through. She lived there. It was yeah, her house. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she got sick a little while ago. Um, so she just stopped keeping up with the house. Um, we, we just kind of, sat and talked for a little while um just to get her comfortable of course because i knew she didn't really want anyone coming through the house and then we walked through the property um and yeah that one yeah yeah i think really just more relationship oriented with that one because she was really nervous about having somebody in and, and looking around because i think she was it, it was a bit of an embarrassment as well on, on her part i think because yeah. i mean she knows that her property was in really bad condition and she couldn't really do much about it so solving that problem would be definitely just connecting with another investor. And then, yeah. Last question on my end here is what was your lowest fee? And, Cause I know what it is and how much work <laughs> did it go in to get that low fee? Let's just talk through that. It's funny. We were talking about this like a week ago. It's funny because the lowest fees are the biggest headaches. <laughs> like <laughs> the lowest fee was uh, 5k followed by like, 8500 and both of those fees i remember one of them it was a peter road deal and we had to pay for the tenants airbnb to get them out because on closing date they weren't out and it was a friday it was thursday or friday and austin and i were literally on the phone for the entire day just trying to work it out and it was like a roller coaster okay it's going to close okay it's not no it's not it is it's not and um for the other one it, it was we so there wasn't an investor that found the value that um, I guess we did with the ARV. So they were only willing to pay a certain price. So we had to get a huge price reduction. Even after that, it was a huge headache. Um, yeah, man. It, it's yeah. always the smallest ones out of the biggest headaches. <laughs> so I want to let people know that there are, and look, this is just transparent, not with us, but with every wholesaling business out there. There are times where uh, people might not see the value in deals. And like the MLS, you can negotiate with the wholesaler. Like with this particular buyer, like there are people walking through it, um, didn't get an offer. So I made phone calls. I was like, look, like there's a price that works for you. And some buyers will be like, oh, uh, not really, whatever. I was like, if I was selling it to you for 50K, would you take it? They're like, yeah. I'm like, you can't give me that excuse, right? Like 
um, there's a price that works. Like, what is it? And then someone named a price that was 30K, 40, like 35K lower than our contracted price. Right. And then I was just like, okay, there's no other buyers on the table. So let John know. It's like, look, like this is the price that the investor's willing to do. And John's all like, shit, let's try something. Right. It's better. We're not doing the seller justice by just letting the deal go until we've done everything in our power to try to make it work. Um, so, I mean, John, do you want to go ahead and, and give that kind of conversation that you had with the seller to negotiate 35K off? I can't even remember, honestly. I think, um, so there was, uh, there was a shed slash garage and they had a secondary unit above it. It was like a makeshift unit. Mm-hmm. There was no real kitchen. There was someone staying in it. There was no real kitchen. Uh, it had like just one of those stove tops, had like a microwave and then it had just a small bedroom. It was insulated on that, but there was a lot of work that was needed to make that into a real second unit. So I just let them know like, hey, it's going to cost a lot more than we thought to make that into a second unit to really have the ARV that we were planning for. So it's going to be X amount for the renovations, which we didn't expect. Um, are you okay with that? And he said, yeah. Honestly, when you when you told me that <laughs> we would have to price reduction, I was like, there's no way to hell. But <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Like you, you gave him like a, you, you essentially kind of paid like an inside. He'd already sold the house for X amount of dollars, right? Now you're going back asking for price reduction. He just doesn't want to lose the main chunk of the price that you were willing to offer, I guess. Right. So that's, that's good. It's a really good. Yeah. Strategy. So the thing there is, is that like, we just got all the information from the investors. Like, Oh, you want it for this? Like why? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look, we got our investors through, like we need it for this because of ABC XYZ. If you're able to do it for that, uh, of course, what John said, explain it, but we'll firm up on the deal. If not, then we, unfortunately, I don't think we'll be able to make it work, but we can connect you with other people who might be interested in buying it, but it'll, it'll be tough. Right. And I think like maybe not nine times out of 10, but eight times out of 10 there. So like a pretty good chance they were willing to play ball with you. Right. Because so close to the finish line. Now yeah. it's just like a little bit of a price reduction. In this case, it was a lot more of a price reduction. Um, if they just give that concession, they're over, like the headaches over with the property sold and everyone's happy and it moves on. Well, that's awesome, man. So, so John, generally at this point in the, in the podcast, I'd like to ask you guys kind of three questions. Um, given how much you've done in your last, what is it, four years of working or three years or something like that, right? I'm, I'm curious for you. Um, what's your goal kind of five years down the road? What do you see yourself doing? Um, personal business, wholesaling, investing, whatever it is. Um, definitely focusing more on building a portfolio. Cause like I said before, I was focusing a lot on active income and I still am just trying to get the skill set right with wholesaling. Um, but a mistake I made, like I mentioned, I wasn't focusing as much on um, building a portfolio for myself. So definitely looking to scale my portfolio at the same time, scaling my active income. Um, and yeah, those two things mainly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because when you're in a high income position, which pretty much you are, you're almost six figures net profit almost in three months, right? Um, you're gonna if you're not buying or investing in real estate or any other assets, you're gonna piss that money away, right? And look, that's the reality with these high income earners. <laughs> man, I, I, learned, I learned that the hard way, man. That's a big reason why as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just gonna be sitting in the bank account. Um, second question here though. I guess it ties into it nicely. If you have $10 million in cash sitting in your bank account and you have seven <laughs> days to spend it, you can spend a bit on real estate, but not all of it. But how would you spend it? How much can I spend on real estate? 
or um, <laughs> not the majority of it. Let's. No, this is more of a personality question. I think a lot of investors' personality is to invest. Let's say you can't spend any on real estate. Like, how would you spend the ten million dollars? I can't spend any on real estate. Real yeah, but you can still you can still invest it into other assets if you want. I would invest in REITs and do a shit ton of private lending. <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so like, I, I feel like because you went into stock stuff first, right? So you started off in stocks. Are you still day trading then? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I finished up a little while ago. Yeah. Okay. But you're, but you are preferred. <laughs> well, no, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, is your preferred asset class still real estate or is it stocks? Um, day trading, but. There's always so much liquidity with what I trade. So I trade low cap stocks. So low cap uh, stocks are a small amount of shares. So there's only so much liquidity that you can uh, use for capital. Whereas with real estate, you can use a lot more and you can leverage it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Um, all right, man. So, so our last question after a little detail there was, um, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? If I could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or Jordan Belfort. As you can tell, my favorite movie is Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why? Uh, Swap the party it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be crazy stories. Or Grant Cardone. He's, he's yeah. Jordan Belfort, I think it'd just be crazy stories. It'd be a crazy dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Leonardo in an interview mentioned he doesn't even know how uh, Jordan is still alive based on the lifestyle he was living. It was actually that ridiculous, right? It's crazy. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, John, we really appreciate you uh, jumping on this podcast, man. Um, you are a book of knowledge. You are definitely what I consider uh, a sales expert. It's amazing to hear a story from someone who just got jumped straight from high school into real estate investing or into the real estate industry and has accumulated the amount of success that you had. And you're just beginning your journey. Excited to see what you do in the future. Um, if people want to reach out to you, chat with you a bit more, how could they do so? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, jpi underscore. Um, yeah, I mean, you can shoot me a DM. Um, it's about it right now. Yeah, Instagram. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support it. We're one like away from 100 likes on iTunes. So one rating away from 100 ratings on iTunes. So if you don't do that shit, we're probably just going to quit next year. This is going to be the last episode you guys hear. So make sure to do that. Um, and until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.